You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with The Eagle, and we have a great show lined up for you here today. Another pair of interviews. We want to set up a weekly feature we're going to have on TheEagle.com, and that is an X's and O's breakdown with former Texas A&M defensive lineman Jay Arnold. So you'll hear the audio from the first installment of that as the first segment of this podcast. And then we welcome Patrick McCormick of the Watauga Democrat, who covers Appalachian State, to help give a look at what they bring to the matchup this weekend at Kyle Field. So, without further ado, here is the interview with Jay Arnold. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with The Eagle. We got a new little segment for you. We got something new for you this year, and I am so excited about it. The man, the myth, the legend, the king of barbecue, bets, football, all the above. Jay Arnold, former Texas A&M defensive lineman, is going to be joining, in this, joining us this year every Monday, maybe Tuesday, to uh, break down the game before, maybe look ahead a little bit, give that X's and O, that inside look into what's going on with Texas A&M football. Jay, with name to be determined, we'll figure out a, a, you know, a, a nice uh, a crafty name for this, but... Something that rolls us. off the tongue. Something that rolls off I the pre- tongue. <laughs> I appreciate you having me, Travis. Uh, looking forward to doing this. Uh, you know, it's going to be a, a fun time to kind of dive into the, the X's and O's, like you said, of, of what happened in the AM game, what went right, what went wrong, and kind of go from there. For sure. Well, uh, let's let's get right into it. What's your just kind of initial observations about AM team so far with uh, one game in the books against Sam Houston State? So for this, it's always tough to read into the the first game of the year, especially when it's an FCS opponent. Uh, week one's always tough. There's always going to be some sloppy ball. Uh, you know, there's there's some mistakes that need to be improved upon. Uh, for me, I think the biggest takeaway is the communication from the offensive line needs to be a little bit better. And I think we're going to get into that here in a little bit about uh, some of the issues that AM was experiencing in the run game. Uh, but, you know, my, my two takeaways offensively, better communication defensively, really love the talent that AM has on that side of the ball. Uh, something that I was worried about was replacing four starters along the defensive line up front. And I came away from that first game thoroughly impressed. Again, you don't want to read too much into it. It's an FCS program. It's the first game of the season. So there's a little bit of hesitation there to, to draw too many conclusions from it. But those are my two takeaways from the first game of the year. But Jay, that's no fun. If there's, there, we have a game in the books. We have, you have to wring your hands or celebrate wildly after one we, game. We have to overreact. Exactly. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's something that's always an issue uh, when you look at new faces along the offensive line. And we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into this. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, continuity. I'll, I'll, set, I'll set the stage. We, you know, run game uh, was something that AM thought might lean on heavily with Devon A. Chain coming back uh, this year, what he was able to do averaging uh, the most yards per carry in the, in the SEC at the end of that, when it was all said and done last year, he only averaged about 2.9, I believe yesterday had, uh, I want to say it was eight yards at halftime. I didn't have my, my book in front of me and finished with uh, 42. When we asked Jimbo Fisher live about it, you know, I, I use a little transcription software thing. And, and when I was writing my story at home yesterday, or, or excuse me, Saturday, I think my wife was going to kill me because I kept, 
searching for the words uh, uh, twist and, and stunt, twist and stunt. He said it over and over again. What was these twists and stunts that Sam Houston State was doing? What was it causing trouble with with the offensive line? And is this something that AM fans should be worried about? Because like we said, it, it, it was Sam Houston State. So the first thing uh, to talk about this is when you're a defensive line that's going to be undersized against an opponent uh, like a Texas A&M. So Sam Houston State knows they're going to have to create some kind of movement up front uh, to combat the fact that they're going to be undersized. Basically, what they were doing is send, slanting the defensive tackle out, sending the end around behind them. Uh, so this is what we call a twist or a stunt. Uh, you know, if if it's the entire defensive line involved or if it's just two, which against the run game, you don't really have the time to, to stunt or twist uh, the entire defensive line. It's usually going to be split down the middle. One side is going to twist against their side. Uh, the opposite side is going to twist against their side if, if both sides are twisting. Uh, but it gave A&M problems, especially on the left side of the line. Uh, and, and that's where you see the new faces, right? Uh, on the right side of the line, Ruben Fothery has been there. Uh, you know, at center, Bryce Foster's out right now. So you have Matthew Wyckoff in there. Uh, that's a little bit of a change. You have uh, at left tackle, Trace Dune is, is a first-year starter. Uh and then at guard, I think Aki Ogunbi. I'm Ogunbi, gonna struggle yeah. with it. Ogunbi, uh, and he's seen some playing time. But what you don't have is the continuity of these offensive line who who have been together and have started games together uh, multiple times throughout the years. This is a new line, and it takes time to communicate. It takes time to gel. Uh, so it's something that can be concerning if it continues to be an issue. Uh, but A&M struggled, obviously, with the communication. It wasn't a physical issue is, is the reason that I am hesitant to, to worry about it. This is something that can be coached up. Uh, and that's why I would, I would preach a little bit of caution to people who are overreacting and really concerned about A&M struggles in the run game. Not every SEC team is going to be is going to be stunning or twisting against the run game. Uh, it's something that is really only used if you're undersized and have to find some way to to combat uh, the the size disadvantage. SEC opponents, for the most part, are against the run, not going to be running these stunts and twists unless it's something that AM continues to struggle with. In which case, then you set you have it on film, and that's something you can game plan for. But <clears throat> What I'm looking at, App State this week is going to be another team that's going to be a little bit undersized up front. I would expect them to use some of that same strategy that Sam Houston had. I need to see better communication out of the offensive line, especially the left side of the offensive line uh, during the run game. Uh, and I, again, it's it's tough whenever you're a new unit and you don't have that continuity, but it's something that can be coached up. And I mean – let's be honest here. It's a new offensive line coach too. So there is, there's a few things that'll need to be worked out, but uh, Steve Adazio and, and, and that crew, I'm sure will be looking at it on film and, and trying to improve that in preparation for this game against Appalachian state. A lot of talk about communication between those offensive linemen. What does that communication look like? Is it simply, is it, is it, 
you know, to, to borrow from other sports, you know, you talk about like uh, in basketball, calling your screens. Uh, is it picking up? What, what does that communication look like uh, between the offensive linemen? What are we talking about here? And you can look into it a few different ways. Uh, so pre-snap, you want to look at where the defensive line are lined up. If you see the defensive end has a little bit more depth, you can kind of expect that the defensive tackle is going to be slanting across the end, maybe coming around behind them. So there's some pre-snap communication that they can get there as well as during the game uh, or once the whistle blows and, and the ball snaps. Uh, now the problem with that is once the ball snaps, you have split seconds to react. There's not a lot of time. Uh, obviously it's something that has to be called out right away. So if you're the guard and you see your, uh, your, three technique or your or nose in front of you slanting outside, you have to know immediately that somebody is going to be replacing him. Uh, so whether that's the defensive end coming behind, whether it's the, the two defensive tackles running a stunt, it's something that you have to have your eyes up and be ready uh, to, to see that free runner coming around behind and be able to make that switch off to your tackle or to your center or to whoever has to pick up the guy. So again, it's tough because that that's a split second change, and if you're going against the Texas A&M defensive line in practice, you're probably not getting a lot of those stunts and 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 twist looks against the run game. Uh, so that's just something that's going to have to come with time. Uh, again, you, you need to see immediate improvement against App State, but it, it's something that. You know, if Aki sees his guy going outside, he has to immediately let Trey know that they're switching off mm-hmm. and, and make that adjustment right away so that the the running backs are able to get room to run, uh, especially in what is a, a zone-based system. For sure, for sure. And that little bit of communication, keeping the, the defensive line from getting so much penetration, you believe that'll open up the, uh, the, the run game like Jimbo Fisher said uh, it, it would, right? It's also, I mean, Devon Ashain is a is a very different back from Isaiah Spiller as well. Uh, you know, Devon is incredible top end speed. I think Isaiah was a little bit more patient as a runner, um, and that could be something where, you know, Ashain maybe didn't get as many carries as Spiller last year, uh, but it'll be an adjustment. And I mean, we we can say this until uh, the cows come home that there's going to be an adjustment period just because of there's so many new faces uh, along the offensive line. Uh, but it, it's, it's something that I expect Jimbo will probably have to get a, a handle on. And, and it could be that AM just leans on the passing game more this year uh, with Haynes King under center and with the receivers that they have Uh as weapons on this offensive uh, side of the ball, which to be fair, I, I was quite impressed with what the wide receivers were able to accomplish in their route running. Yeah. Let's segue right into that. Haynes King, the somewhat new quarterback. He's had a couple of quarters under his belt, but had that injury last year, uh, getting the starting job again. And then a lot of new wide receivers uh, and a lot of wide receivers that haven't necessarily had a ton of experience. What'd you see in the passing game, both with Haynes King and some of the standout wide receivers you saw? <laughs> right. It's the, it's the once and future King, right? He, he started last year and now he's, he's made his way back to the starting position. Uh, 
so this, I mean, the wide receiving core, we expected a lot of talent there. Uh, Evan Stewart in the, in the mid distance passing game, uh, he is going to create a lot of, a lot of matchup issues. Uh, Yul Keith Brown. I don't know if anybody had him as the first touchdown score for this A&M team this year, but that speed was incredibly impressive and a nice Smith as well. Uh, and how mean, about that block by Yul Keith Brown too, on, for that sprung a nice Smith on that. <laughs> I mean, that was, that would, that would make a defensive lineman proud, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, the fact that he's willing to put his head in there and, and make contact like that and able to break off that, that big reception for Anais. I mean, there's so much talent out there. And then you have Anais, Yul Keith and, and Evan who are all smaller guys, but then Chris Marshall out there as well uh, is as a bigger target uh, is something that, you know, adds another level uh, to this offense. And I mean, just the, it seems like there's going to be much more of a vertical threat this year for the AM offense. And part of that was Haynes King was taking a lot of shots downfield. Uh, and I think Jimbo heard a little bit of criticism about the downfield threat last year. And maybe that's something that they placed an emphasis on in the off season. But I mean, when you have so much speed in the wide receiving core uh, and so much quickness and the guys are able to run routes. I mean, I think it was a, a scissor concept late in the game that, that I scored again on uh, it's just going to create issues for, for defensive backfields. And as, as much as I was a little bit worried about the offensive line, I think everything that I had about this receiving core is, is positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe you want a little bit more out of the tight end spot, but when you're replacing somebody's tenured as Jalen Weidemeyer with uh, true freshman, basically along there, especially with Max Ride out, uh, you're going to struggle a little bit. And I, I have to say, I think the receiver stepped up. Yeah. As a guy in the trenches, I'm going to go ahead and throw, throw you a, a curveball here because we didn't talk about this before, but as a guy who knows the trenches, what does it say to you about the fact that they have this huge tight end stable this this huge room they brought in all of these guys but when max wright goes down they actually move demetrius crown over over to give a little bit more of that blocking threat as a guy who knows the blocking what what what, what do you make of that a little bit uh because i think a lot of people thought that you'd see a lot more of jake johnson you see a lot more of maybe theo mellon Olstrom. we did see a little bit of of uh donovan green in there as well but not even really any blake smith uh, in there as well. It was it was actually moving alignment out to tight end. What, what what do you make of that that move and and maybe what that says about that tight end room? Yeah, I mean, with with the true freshmen especially, uh, even though you know some of these guys were able to get in there in the spring, there's still a physicality aspect that you have to kind of develop. Uh, you know, Crownover is a big enough guy where he should be able to to bring some of that physicality that, that maybe you're missing, uh, especially from true freshmen coming in. And I mean, a guy like Theo Mellon-Ostrom, who also uh, moved up a class, right? I mean, he reclassified, was originally in the 2023 class and, and moved to the 2022 class. Uh, it, it's something that I wouldn't, again, I think these guys are going to develop as the season goes on. And depending on what the game plan is week to week, that could change as well. And I think, you know, especially offensively, it was probably kept a little bit vanilla this week. Uh, You don't want to put too much on film against an FCS opponent uh, early in the year. Uh, But I do think A&M is obviously searching for for more of that blocking threat with Max right out. 
For sure. For sure. You mentioned, we'll go back to wide receivers real quick. You mentioned Chris, Chris Marshall, something that I brought up at the fact, and you can maybe push back on me on this, but for the last five or six years, A&M really hasn't had that uh, kind of home run hit, uh, go high point the ball kind of wide receiver. It's been four wide with four possession receivers. Do you see Chris Marshall as he might not be that speedster, but he might be that guy who can go high point the ball, kind of a go get it wide receiver that, that I don't feel like they've had in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so the, the only guy that I can think of that has had that ability was Kendrick Rogers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. who, who was able to do that a little bit. I mean, the LSU game was obviously one example of it, but 2018 against Clemson, I think he, right. he really thrived in that role of being able to go up and get the ball. Uh, Chris Marshall has a lot of that ability. I think he also has a little more speed than, than some of those guys have had. So that definitely adds a dimension to the passing game uh, that, that has been missing. Uh, especially in the red zone, uh, w- when you get down there and have that big target, it, it makes a difference. And I, I think uh, Haynes is probably going to need to rely on Chris Marshall as they get down there, especially uh, like we talked about, you know, if the, if the tight ends aren't as involved in the passing game, uh, Chris Marshall is going to be the, the red zone threat. Sure. So, you know, let's get to your bread and butter, the defensive line. When we, we were at, sitting there at halftime in that rain delay, I was saying that there wasn't really a whole lot that A&M fans or coaches could necessarily be happy, super happy about yet other than the defensive line play and the speed of Evan Stewart. Now things definitely turned around in the second half. Things clicked a little bit more. You can saw a little bit of that more communication on the offensive line. Uh, I think things improved, but man, that from start to finish, the defensive line was probably the strongest portion of A&M's uh, uh, team out there. What'd you make of that? And uh, what'd you make of those guys, especially some of those new guys they slotted in? Yeah. I mean, the, from like you said, the defensive line impressed from the start on, uh, and especially with the guy who I thought was going to be the leader of this unit, McKinley Jackson being out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he wasn't even in the contest and the defensive line uh, shown from the outset. I mean, Anytime you're replacing four starters along the defensive line and, and four starters of the quality of the Marvin Leal, Jaden Peavy, uh, Michael Clemens, I mean, that that unit was just incredible last year. And it, it's, I mean, again, temper your expectations, FCS opponent, don't read into it too much, but it seems like they picked up right where it left off. And uh, I was really impressed with Fadil Diggs, especially. Uh, you know, against the run, solid. And then they were able to rush the passer without requiring extra rushers. I mean, they could rush with four and, and they weren't struggling. And Fadil Diggs especially was getting after the quarterback. But then you saw some of the new guys. Uh, you saw uh, Labius Overton. You saw Shamar Stewart. I mean, these guys are all threats from day one, which is something that you love to see. I know – Coach Robinson and Coach Price have got to be thrilled with what they saw out of this unit early on. Uh, Disciplined play in the run game and then able to rush the passer. I I think one of the plays that stood out to me, and I know, like you said, it's hard necessarily to make a whole lot of judgments about first game of the season against an FC or, you know, FCS opponent uh, moving up to BCS, but it's a team like, uh, or not BCS, FBS, team like Sam Houston State. But when the game was still in the balance, in the balance, when the game was still close early, you had a drive where I believe it was third down and the waters parted in front of Sam Houston's quarterback. And he had a wide open lane to run for the first down. Fadil Diggs had already getting pushed all the way outside of the play, came back and made a diving stop that kept 
them in front of the chains on third down and force them to punt. They get a first down there. You, you never know. And, and that showed a lot of good motor from what Fidel um, digs that, that, that hype that he got from the spring ball when he got defensive MVP. Yeah. And that's, it's something, I mean, like you talked about the motor, that's coach speak for somebody that doesn't give up on the play. Uh, he's able to, to keep running. And even though he was a little bit further upfield than you would like, never gave up on the play and using the quickness and the fact that he was constantly moving, was able to make a diving play to, to, to bring uh, Yates down to keep him from converting. And like you said, I mean, it was a wide open lane that he had to, to run the ball. Uh, and that's it's going to take that kind of effort constantly in the SEC, especially whenever you get into late season games. I mean, you know, you look at what Florida and Anthony Richardson was able to do. You look at, I mean, even LSU with their struggles, Jaden Daniels was a was a real problem running the ball. You're going to need that kind of high motor, high intensity, high effort uh, from your defensive line to to keep quarterbacks from scrambling and creating big plays. Yeah, so uh, we, we touched on the defensive line. Just general thoughts. What were some other standout uh, performances, thoughts on the defensive play from linebackers and defensive backs? Yeah, I mean, obviously the guy that I'm most excited about this season, I think uh, a lot of NFL draft pundits are as well, uh, Antonio Johnson. Uh, he's going to be just a force to be reckoned with all year. I thought Damani Richardson had a great game as well. Uh, you know, Tyreek Chappell's a guy that got a lot of playing time last year uh, as a freshman and uh, being able to build off that experience is going to be really important, but I was happy with what the linebackers did. I think if there was one question mark on this defensive unit, it was maybe the linebacker play, no matter who they had in there, whether it was Andre White or Edron Cooper. Uh, and I think uh, Christopher Russell also stepped up and, and had a, a, a good game while he was in there. Uh, this, this linebacking core you don't see three linebackers anymore. Uh, you're not going to see like a true four, three. It's going to be, you know, some kind of nickel package uh, with, with the five DBs usually, uh, mm -hmm. but you have three linebackers you can depend on. And that's, that's huge for this defense going into SEC play. Well, and when you get a guy like two, like Fidel Diggs, uh, some of these real lean uh, edge rushers, they even stood him up more. Uh, and he kind of sometimes presented a little bit of a, that that four or like a three three four three kind of hybrid. Um, not necessarily look. You got a whole lot from AM last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it seemed to be a, a new another little wrinkle as well. Yeah, and that could be again with a new defensive coordinator coming in and DJ Durkin mm -hmm. uh, changing up things a little bit. Uh, also adapting to your personnel. Uh, maybe Fidel Diggs is a guy that they see as more of a, a pure rusher compared to. Uh, Michael Clemens at the position last year uh, that they feel more comfortable with him standing up. And, you know, I, I mean, personally, I'd prefer him to, to rush the passer, but he has the athleticism uh, to, to run that kind of a hybrid defensive line linebacker role. For sure. For sure. Uh, I, I know I mentioned that one play Fidel stood out. Any, any specific plays throughout the game or moments throughout the game that stood out to you um, as either um, gold stars or, or points of concern moving forward. Yeah. So I do worry a little bit about uh, some of the scrambles that, that Yates was able to get at Sam Houston. Uh, I think he's, you know, a lot of quarterbacks now, I mean, you don't see too many true pocket passers anymore. People are going to be scrambling, getting out of the pocket. So it may be something where uh, you're going to need a spy at some point. 
uh, to, to kind of keep quarterbacks in the pocket or, or change your rush rushing strategy uh, to, to keep more of a containment on the quarterback. But the one thing I think was missing from this defensive unit last year, or maybe that they needed more of was turnovers. And this defense really came through and created turnovers when they needed them. Uh, there's the interception when Sam Houston state was driving. I think Andre white was the one that tipped it. And then uh, I'm not sure who uh, actually Jordan ended up coming down. Jordan Gilbert came down with the interception. Uh, it, it's plays like capitalizing on moments like that. I think sometimes uh, during last season, there were opportunities that, that A&M wasn't able to capitalize on. Uh, but they were capitalizing on those moments in this game. And that's something that's going to be uh, important going forward. And then secondly on that, this isn't a, a particular moment in the game, but the fact that A&M was able to rotate in so many faces, uh, not just along the defensive line, but in the back end as well, and you didn't see a drop off in play. I mean, the depth is is what is – really noticeable with this team this year. I think that's a good sign for the team going forward. Sure. Uh, so let's go to top three performers of the week who offense or defense, who would you uh, say are the top three performers of the week? So I think uh, the first guy you got to go with on offense is an I Smith. Uh, I mean, anytime a guy has 164 yards and, and two touchdowns uh, receiving, it's kind of, kind of a no brainer for that one. Uh, you look at, the defensive side of the ball, Fadil Diggs, for me, was the was the best performer on that side of the ball. Uh, took care of business. The effort, the high motor that we saw that we've already touched on, he was probably my my number two performer. And then sticking on the defensive side of the ball, I think uh, Damani Richardson. Uh, he was really a factor throughout the game. Uh, There's a lot of times where he was inserted in as a safety coming up into the run game and was able to make some big plays. Uh, so... Damani Richardson is probably my, my third star for this game. And then looking ahead, App State coming to Kyle Field next year, a team that will not be intimidated by a big atmosphere and an FBS uh, blue blood kind of opponent. They, they've done that for years and years and years now. They come off a game against uh, North Carolina where they put up 61 points, probably not, probably should have won that game uh, against North Carolina. What does the defense need to do to keep that kind of offense at bay? I know it's not necessarily apples to apples. Uh, and and maybe what are a few of the things, both defensively and offensively, that you'd like to see improve from week one to week two if we're going to push that cliche that that's the biggest uh, growing point in the season for a team? Yeah, so – the thing that we talked about with the offensive line communication, that's the thing that you really need to see improvement on app state's going to use some of that stunning and twisting that we saw from Sam Houston state uh, due to the, the fact that they're going to be undersized up front uh, defensively. There's not too much I want to see improve on uh, chase Bryce. I don't think he's going to be able to scramble quite as much as Gates was able to uh, against the same defense. Uh, but what I want to see to limit the uh, ability of the App State offense to execute is to keep that pass rush up. A&M still needs to be able to rush the passer with four rushers uh, and not have to rely on exotics and blitzes to get pressure on Chase Bryce. Obviously, anytime a team can score 61 points, you know they're going to be an offensive threat. The back end is really going to get tested next week. Uh, you, you want to see uh, Damani Richardson and that crew step up, and, and it's going to – be more on their shoulders because I think Chase Bryce and this Appalachian State offense are going to be prepared for quick passing game. I think they know that they're going to get uh, get some pressure from Fidel Diggs and that crew up front. I think they're going to be quick passing game, something a little bit different from what we saw out of Sam Houston State. And 
I'm expecting Damani Richardson and, and the back end to get tested. They need to make sure that they step up and, and have a good game against Appalachian State and limit that offense. Jay, you're known for your three things. Let me get, let me make sure I got this right. Barbecue, bets, and ball. Is that is that how this how this works? <laughs> I, I think that'll work. Uh, but what is the, what is the, what is the blog? It's barbecue. It's barbecue bets and beats. Beats. Uh, so that yeah, the beats is just uh you know I don't think we've talked about this before. We're both Texas country music fans. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the last bit of it is is a little bit of music, uh, but. Uh, well, for, first off, tell the people where they can find you. Right. So if you want to check out the barbecue bets and beats, uh, you can go to jarnold.substack.com. If you want some more AM focused content, you can go to goodbullhunting.com and see some of my stuff there. And uh, I actually do a little bit of NASCAR writing for Apollo Houston as well. So uh, I, like to, I like to keep my options open. Uh, I like to talk about quite a bit. Let's close it out with this then, because we talked about some ball that, you know, that goes into bets and everything. Uh, maybe we can get some beats uh, here in the, you know, we, we there, there was the great Robert O'Keen in town uh, this weekend. So that was a little bit of your beats. Name me, what, what's, what's the barbecue place to hit up? What's, what's on the top of your list right now? Oh man, it's so hard to pick just one. Uh, but I, I'll tell you this. Uh, which, which one's on your mind right now? <laughs> With App State coming to town, uh, obviously Texas has its own style of barbecue. North Carolina has its own style of barbecue as well. Uh, they're more famous for the whole hog type of barbecue. I'm going to be going to Fiji's barbecue down here in Houston this week, uh, getting some whole hog, uh, from the crew over there because it is a fantastic change of pace from the, the typical Texas style whole hog. If you haven't had it is great. I highly recommend it. And I can't wait to get over and, and, and get some of that this week. Jay, I am so excited about the season, being able to break down games with you. Uh, you, you we, we both know I'm, I'm more of a baseball soccer guy, so I need to get the X's and O's in, uh, from somebody who knows it, and there's nobody I'd rather have than you. I look forward to keep doing this each week, so be, be sure to check back on theeagle.com for more of these each week. And Jay is always online tweeting with that blue check mark on Twitter. So be sure to hit him up there and see what he has to say. Uh, thanks everyone for watching and we'll see you again next week. Again, you can find that video weekly on the Eagle.com with Jay Arnold breaking down the previous week's game. After break, we'll be back with Patrick McCormick of the Watauga Democrat. What's going on, everyone? This is our weekend preview. A&M takes on App State, and we have uh, Patrick McCormick from the Watauga Democrat here to break down, look at a little bit of what A&M has to face in Appalachian State this weekend. Patrick, how's it going? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Travis? Can't complain. Can't complain. Well, let's just start off the same way we start off all of these, and that is, what's the major storylines? What's the biggest things you're looking for and uh, App State is looking for coming into this game this weekend? Well, so after a crushing loss to uh, Chapel Hill on uh, the previous Saturday, um, it was an incredible game. There were uh, an insane number of points scored during the, uh, the fourth quarter alone. The two teams combined for 62 points. Um, remarkable game. Uh, really should have been, uh, you know, you can you can maybe call on the coach to question whether he should have gone for a two-point conversion to try to seal the game. But clearly App State's defense had struggled to 
contain North Carolina. And I think that's going to be a trend throughout the season. Um, their app state's offense looks legitimate. Um, there were questions going into the off season about, um, our wide receiver core, but chase Bryce threw to 12 different receivers. And, uh, I, I don't see foresee any other complications with their offense this year. Their defense is really the, the question mark on the season so far. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Sorry for the bit of a ramble. <clears throat> what about what about the mental state? You know, you look at, uh, of course, you play a team, so you, you start studying. App State has done well going to Georgia, Tennessee, Penn State, but not after a rivalry game where, you know, I imagine it's like A&M playing Texas. If you can beat North Carolina like you guys did once and have been so great, how do you think they bounce back from that, you know, t- crushing loss? Well, so I uh, there were a couple points in the game where I saw, um, and, and maybe the most notable one was after the first failed two point conversion. The receiver he was laying literally on the ground, and an offensive lineman came over and physically lifted him up. And I think that's almost kind of a a uh, a perfect embodiment of what the team needs to do they need to support each other say hey look this was an incredibly devastating loss um but we're still you know in the the running for trying to win the conference they're going to be looking beyond to to progress beyond that game despite how the ending uh turned into that that kind of uh uh soul crushing kind of (laughs) uh way to to uh end it but Playing against opponents like Chapel Hill, Texas A and M, these are these are the opponents that Appalachian State needs to put on their docket to to really be considered uh, a, a school that is on the kind of up and up. Um, they're not they're not quite there yet. Um, there there is talk about maybe moving to the ACC, but until that until they can start really competing in these games and maybe even winning more of them, that's not going to be I think something that they should consider. 61, uh, oh, 61 points against North Carolina, uh, 40, I believe, in the fourth quarter. Is that the kind of offense that you were expecting um, fr- from App State this year? Was that a little bit of a surprise, that kind of offensive output? Um, I would not have expected them to put up maybe 60 uh, you know, in their first game, 61, but uh, I, would, I would not be surprised to see them average you know, high 20s, even 30s for the season. Um, this is going to be... This is going to be a, a very strong offense. Chase Bryce being a sixth-year quarterback, very unique. Um, just the, the the COVID year eligibility and him being a graduate student. Um, really, really experienced reader of the game. Very good at spreading the ball around. Um, like I mentioned, you know, uh, they had a lot of receivers um, graduate from last year. So this this group of wide receivers was kind of an untested group. Uh, but this, I think that first game kind of showed that, that they're the real deal. Um, Deshaun Davis had uh, six catches on seven targets for 72 yards and a touchdown. And like I mentioned, um, Chase Bryce targeted, um, or completed passes to 12 different receivers on the day. So I, I do expect this offense to be what the team leans on. They're not going to win games by um, blanketing opponents with their defense. It's going to be do they outscore them. So, so what are you looking for? What are you going to look at most Saturday? You're going to look at most, you think for the, you know, for long range or for the season, even for that game. We're going to be looking more at App State's offense going against the AM's defense, which is coming off a shout out. Or are you going to be more interested to see if App State's defense can rise up 
and, uh, and show up, which they weren't against North Carolina? That is a great question. Um, because this team, they really, honestly, like I, like I just mentioned, they, they are going to be kind of live by the offense, die by the offense. If they can keep it going, um, clearly UNC, they've got a powerhouse offense as well. Their defense, um, they failed to not only stop Appalachian State in this last weekend, but the first weekend they played Florida um, AMU. Yes, yeah. correct. Um, and they struggled to stop them as well. They led up 24 to a team that had like 20 players declared ineligible for the game. Yeah. Um, you know, they're – the, the real test for Appalachian State is going to be, can their offense replicate such success against a better defense? I think that's going to be the big question. So do you expect that? Do you expect, uh, what do you expect, what do you expect then from their offense this week? I would like to see them um, put up maybe 20 to 30 points and have a, a, a good showing on defense. It, it's really going to be the question, can some of the, the defenders from, from last year that, uh, there's Stephen Jones Jr. who was tied for second in the um, NCAA for interceptions last year. He's going to be a key component. Um, not not to be confused with the Cowboys uh, gen uh, uh, <laughs> general manager in waiting. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then um, we had a couple uh, juniors step up and uh, display really good tackle numbers against UNC. But if they can, if some of these players can continue their transition into being full-time starters for the defense, then I could foresee maybe App State remaining competitive in this game, but it's going to be really predicated on their offense to keep up with AM, I think. So for AM fans who don't really follow App State, what are one or two players on each side of the ball that, that'll be key that if this was a NCAA football 14 would have the little star under them? <laughs> um, certainly Chase Bryce. Um, honestly, he's going to be He's going to be so critical for the team this year. Um, I actually spoke to uh, Sean Clark earlier in the season, and he – you know, he sleeps better at night, he has said, because of how important he is to the team. Um, but the players behind him, they really need to find a, a, a developmental quarterback behind him. So Chase Bryce on um, in the backfield, uh, Nate Knoll and Cameron Peoples. Um, both of them are going to be toting the ball maybe 10 to 15 times per game easily. Um, our new offensive coordinator, Kevin Barbe, was actually the uh, Central Michigan uh, offensive coordinator last year, where Lou Nichols the second led the NCAA in rushing yardage. So I think we're going to be uh, we're going to try at least to be a run heavy team, at least more so than in the UNC game. On the defensive side of the ball, I would say, like I mentioned, Stephen Jones Jr. Um, he's going to be really key in trying to contain some of the opposing wideouts in this upcoming game. And then uh, Nick Ross, uh, very uh, untested, but uh, Really, really athletic corner. He had a chase down tackle on um, Caleb Hood, who had a 71-yard uh, rush that should have gone for a touchdown, but Nick Ross chased him down at the four-yard line. Um, really, really great effort to see from those guys. So I would say Nick Ross and Stephen Jones Jr. on defense. So so you know, I agree. We got, I studied the, this matchup as well, and I don't know how App State's going to stop A&M with, you know, they're going to try to run the ball with the chain, which they didn't do last week. They've got all this speed. My question is, how good is special teams? Because maybe they can't be giving up anything in special teams. How good is App State in special teams? You know, returns, punts, uh, coverage? 
Um, so Clayton Howell is our punter for the year. He only punted the ball once against uh, UNC. <laughs> it, it went for 38 yards. It, it looks like he has. Uh, I'm see, I've seen him in practice. He looks pretty pretty good at ball placement. So I'm not super worried about the punting. Um, our kick returns were were pretty decent against UNC. Um, Milan Tucker. He returned uh, three kick returns for 89 yards. Um, his longest was a 47-yard return. That was actually very critical in setting us up for a uh, comeback late in the fourth quarter that unfortunately failed to materialize. Um, I'm a bit worried about the special team's coverage on kickoffs towards the opposition. Um, we let up some big returns to uh, UNC that I'm that I'm not, including a, a touchdown on an onside kick return. So, uh Maybe maybe that would be a one area of weakness would be coverage on kickoffs. <clears throat> Cease, do you have anything else? I was going to ask. You always wonder about you know these uh, non-power five. Does App State ne- really need these games for money? Because they don't play may- maybe as many as other people. Looks like they average one a year. Uh, how, how does that work? As like you said, they're looking to take that next step. Are they looking at this investment? then maybe they get moved up the ladder. Um, I think it, it might be partly money, but uh, I really do think that the program is trying to make a case for, you know, honestly getting those quality games in for rankings. You know, if you if you beat up on the Sun Belt every year, uh, sure, you might get a couple votes towards the end of the, the coaches' polls or whatever, but I think these these quality games, you know, even if you don't win all of them, it gives you a chance um at being nationally ranked if you can pull one off and then i think they're also trying to see can we compete with the big conferences can we actually consider stepping up into the acc potentially um i i I do think that's a a long-term goal for the program but i don't think they're quite there yet i would like to see a bit more um development against against these power five teams Well, uh, to close it out, let's go with what are three things that you think need to see from Appalachian State for them to have a successful game or, or, or stay in the game? If not, maybe take the game. Ooh, okay. So certainly um, on offense, it's going to be uh, really sustained drives. Uh, we had lots of quick hitting drives against UNC, but I would like to see more um, ball possession. Uh, the, the possession time against UNC was, was not promising, um, despite the close score. Um, and then on defense, I really want to see, um, just less, uh, less broken coverage, less long plays really, really need to try to contain, uh, A&M on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I don't foresee a win for Appalachian state, but if they can keep it competitive, you know, maybe one or two plays goes their way and we could see a surprising upset <clears throat> there you go well patrick uh real quick before we go where's the place that people can find your work and find you on social media to, to, to follow before the game <laughs> i did not expect a shout out but um i write for the watauga democrat um, which is at watagademocrat.com um i am on twitter as uh writer expat uh, writer underscore expat 
Um, and I don't really have any other social medias that I use for writing at the moment, but I do appreciate the shout out. Thank you so much. There you go. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of time and pulling back the curtain on uh, Appalachian State. Thanks, everyone, for watching this. And if you're listening to the My Aggie Nation podcast, we thank you so much. And we'll uh, talk to you again next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to must have seen. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. Don't want to make sure, my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. Can be all that we can be, all that we can be, all that we can be.